social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Because if you're social, then you really should be tweeting less. If you're social, then you really could be leading less. You can't have what people say it's so mysterious. Because you're social, you're a leader and you're serious. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hi, I'm Carrie, and welcome to another episode of All the Social Ladies. I am totally honored and thrilled today to speak with Sandy Carter, who is the general manager of IBM Ecosystems and Social Business Evangelism. Sandy is responsible for IBM's worldwide focus on building ecosystems around core growth areas, which drives approximately one-third of IBM's revenue and is a critical element in IBM's overall strategy. She's also responsible for the award-winning Global Entrepreneur Program, which has delivered over 2,000 mentors to help startups and entrepreneurs expand and grow, and I cannot wait to learn about that program. A recognized thought leader in social business, Sandy is an award-winning author of three books and was recently named to Forbes Global Top 40 in Marketing. She's also passionate about women's leadership. She's a founding member of WITI, Women in Technology International, and IBM's Super Women Group, a community of over 20,000 women worldwide. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carrie. It's my honor to be here. I cannot wait. I'm I'm just so excited to have you. And I just when I was reading about you, I've just I'm so impressed, uh, both with how early you were involved in kind of the social movement and just some of the things you've done are just really incredible. So I can't wait to talk today. And I'd love to start with your start. Tell me a little bit of the story of your career. Well, um, I actually thought I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Mm-hmm. But when I was in college, I really got addicted to um, technology and explaining technology in a business format, if you would. So I had lots of opportunities to do some really cool projects with folks like the NBA, with IBM, um, even working on a project to test drugs using computer um, automation instead of actually testing on animals. Wow. I got really addicted to the technology and so decided that that would be my life's work. And as I was making my way through uh, my IBM career, found that one of the things that I think really helped our business was the communities that I built. Now, you know, back in the day, they weren't all called communities and they weren't all social. Right. But I noticed a trend throughout the entire time that I was working that you know, forming communities around the technology, around the business area, really, really made a difference. And so I really started coming in on the social scene um, about maybe six or seven years ago, which is a lifetime ago for social, where we did a blog, which was about all there was (laughs) at that point. And that blog was generating such sales leads and awareness that I knew we were really on to something. I I worked with a team at IBM to help draft some of the first um, blogging guidelines and then social computing guidelines. And then ever since then, I've been working with my clients on gamification and social media, social business, and the whole nine yards. And now it's become a way of life. It's really amazing. I mean, I saw, I was looking through just kind of your history as a whole, and I saw that your your concept of being the social media evangelist at IBM began as early as 2005. Is that right? That's right. That's un- in fact, uh 
Yeah, I mean, I I wrote one of the first blogs at IBM, and at that time, you know, blogging was 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 the social thing to do, and uh, and then I was one of the first on Twitter, and I just got addicted to that. <laughs> and addicted because not only was it fun, but it helped me to connect, Carrie, to people all around the world, and I love our clients and our partners so much. It just enabled me to connect with them in a way that wasn't possible before, and so. I just thought this is this is going to really impact the world in very positive ways for sure. It's incredible. So you just you really spotted it early and ad- and were an early adopter. It's it's a great story. Tell me tell me a little bit about IBM and the concept of social business evangelism and what 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 is a social business and and how do you help? How does IBM help? Yeah. So one of the things that we noticed um, early on is everybody was talking about social media, and we felt that social media was too, um, how do I say it, too limiting. Mm-hmm. Because you can use social, you know, social blogging, um, messaging, all that stuff. You can use that in any business process. It doesn't just have to be a new channel. So, for instance, we use it in sales. We use it in our supply chain. We use it in marketing. We, you know, we use it in HR. And so we coined the term social business mm-hmm. because we felt like social wasn't just going to be a new channel but was really going to impact every aspect of someone's business. And so in terms of how you were able to make that a core piece of IBM, you were able to teach others that as well, or is that just a piece of IBM yeah. structure? I think as a, as a whole, that's something you do. Yeah, I think it was really interesting because one of the first things we did is um, I was given an area of the business to help turn around, mm-hmm. and I used social to do that. And so a couple of executives came to me and said, okay, well, you use social to turn the business around. Was that just, you know, luck? Was that just a fluke? Or does social really have an impact? And so they put me in a whole different area, and we used social again to grow this business, not turn it around because it wasn't in the need of turning around, but to grow the business. And I think that's when IBM had the aha moment that we were using social to grow our businesses, to transform our businesses, and wouldn't this be powerful to get in the hands of our clients? And so I like to say we drank our own champagne. We used it. We leveraged it. We saw what was gapping in the marketplace. So we create uh, products that helped other businesses do what we were doing in the market. And hence the whole focus on social business for IBM was born. That's so incredible. And can you tell us a little bit about some of those products? Yeah, so we have a, one of my favorite products is IBM Connections. And what it does is it's a, um, a YouTube, a Facebook, a Twitter, all the great social tools combined for enterprises so that they can communicate not only internal, inside of their four walls, but they can also use that to communicate external, beyond their four walls, to get insight, to get innovation, ideation, you know, new ideas from their customers, their partners, their suppliers coming in. So that's one of my favorites. We also have a product that is called um, Webster Portal, and it helps you to really have a phenomenal experience, that digital experience that everybody's clamoring for today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about the market, but it's about the experience that you bring to somebody. And so those are just two of some of my very favorite products from IBM in this particular space. I absolutely love it. And tell me about when you're looking at um, a a business area or a different group that you've impacted through social, how are you measuring the success and able to show that social is actually what is transforming that change? It's mm, a great question. Thanks. Well, there's, there's, it's a tough question. There's a couple, it's one, that, one of the top ones that clients always ask. Always. Right? Always. 
So, you know, there's a couple ways that we measure. Um, one is that we look at a business process before we add social to it, and then what happens to that business process after we add social to it. So it's almost like a, you know, the before and the mm -hmm. after. And that really enables us to capture not just a lot of quantitative areas, but also qualitative areas as well, right? So you're easy to do business with, which may not show up in a customer SAT metric for a little while, but yep. you can see pretty, pretty fast if you're just doing that before and after mechanism. We look at revenue coming in. So recently we did a pilot um, looking at influencers in a particular area and training our sales teams of how to engage these influencers, and we could directly measure that in terms of revenue. Um, Internally, we've measured the impact of social for things like, you know, reducing travel and mm -hmm. speeding up projects because you could collaborate much more freely. So based on the project, we determine the business goal and then we measure against that particular goal. And I, I don't know if you know, Carrie, but McKinsey and Company has published several research papers, uh, one on the Web 2.0 payday and others where they've taken, taken, you know, a lot of clients measured the average social impact of social on a business process. And I would encourage any client to read that because it's very compelling quantitative data on the true impact of social. That's incredible. That's a great tip. So from McKinsey on Web 2.0 Payday. That's terrific. And so basically it sounds like you measure based on the project's objectives, right? I mean, you're looking at if you're looking at reducing. Right. Okay. So you were recently named number 13 of the world's top 40 social marketing <laughs> talent. <laughs> so tell me about that um, and, and how, what, what do you attribute that to and, and how do you keep up the pace? How do you manage to keep that going? Well, first of all, I was so honored to get that. And they, uh, they called me ahead of time. Forbes called me ahead of time, and I was just thrilled. And, you know, when I was talking to him about it, I asked the same questions. You know, what was it that you think bolstered me to the top this, this top, you know, top 15. Mm -hmm. And they said it was really about the engagement. I have lots of engagement with clients and partners online, whether that is, you know, a blog post where I'm sharing a point of view and people are commenting on that point of view or where someone else has shared a point of view and I'll comment on it or someone else has cried out for help and I'll respond to it. I think part of the secret is I'm not out there marketing and selling. I'm actually presenting a point of view, um, commenting on others' points of view. I'm trying to help people. I'm basically doing everything that you would do in a normal relationship that you would have with a customer. I'm just doing it online. And I think that really is where the impact comes. Some people think that social is this, you know, magic box. Right. And if you use that to market, then you'll accelerate. But in reality, social is another tool to have a great relationship with somebody. Absolutely. And when you have a, when you have a great relationship, you're not just going to be – pushing things out to them, you're going to be listening to them, asking them what they need for help. You're going to be dialoguing with them and providing things of value. And I think if you approach it that way, I think you can really accelerate your social journey as well. And how much, Sandy, for you, how open are you on social media with beyond IBM, like you're, you the person? Do you feel like you, you incorporate a lot of your personal life or are you more, do you separate the two? Well, I would say I do a little bit of both, and, and uh, Carrie, I have a quick, quick story of, of, of um, some of the stuff I, I have done. I was going to India, and I tweeted that I was going to go speak there in Mumbai. When I showed up at the hotel, you know, after a 22-hour flight, mascara dripping down my face, <laughs> um, the, hotel, the hotel general manager comes up to me, and he goes, 
I've got all the people who are waiting for you. I had to move them from this room to another because the room got, you know, got crowded. So I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, who's meeting me at 11.30 p.m. at night in Mumbai? I thought, oh, it must be the IBM team. So I went down to the room. I opened the door, and there's Bollywood music and dancing, and I shut the door, and I went back to the general manager, and I said, you must have sent me to the wrong room because I think that room is having, like, a wedding or something (laughs) in there. And he goes, no, 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 that's the right room. So I went back in there, and I still remember this, walking back in the door with the general manager, and this this such nice gentleman came running up to me, and he said, hi, hi, my name is Anil. I am the social media president of the club that runs here in Mumbai. Oh, my goodness. And we wanted to welcome you. And he said, how are your daughters? How is your dog, Scarlett? How is your husband? How is your oh. flight? And anyway, it, it really was an aha moment for me. I had shared enough about myself to where this gentleman here, thousands of miles away from me, felt like I was his friend and felt like he knew enough about me to ask about my dog and my family and you know, other things about my life. What, you know, that just illustrates to me the power of social. Now, in addition, he had gotten 178 of the members of the Social Media Club of Mumbai together in a room and asked me to present social, which I did till about 2 a.m. in the morning. Wait, so the on the, unprompted? Un- that, unprompted? Yeah, like when you walked in there? Unprompted. Yeah, yeah, at 11.30 after flying all that time. I mean, wow. I obviously have stuff all the time, yep. So uh, it was really, it was so fun because it was such an aha moment for me. These people felt like they were my friend. I mean, and friend in the true sense of the word, they knew enough about me personally to to make it a relationship. It wasn't just about the business stuff. It was about the way I approach life and the way I approach my family. And, And again, I don't share too much about myself, but I share enough so that I'm a full person, not just a piece of a person. Exactly. So that they know you, but maybe it's not your entire personal experience. That's right. You got yeah. it. That's really incredible. So, okay, the next thing I'm dying to know about, since I myself am a, a young entrepreneur, is to learn about your global entrepreneur program. So tell me all about that. Oh, you will love this. I so know I will. Started it, I, you will love it. Yes, you will love it. So we started something called the Global Entrepreneur Program. And what we found at IBM is that entrepreneurs like yourself, you guys really impact and influence so many people. So as we're helping you, you guys are vocal because you're entrepreneurs and Mm -hmm. you tell others and that then helps IBM as well, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all in this win-win scenario. So our global entrepreneur program, we've really centered it on on kind of three foundational elements. One is providing uh, business mentoring. If you think about IBM, you're like, well, IBM's not an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but we are. We have, we have so many entrepreneurs, and we've acquired so many companies that we have a wealth of entrepreneurs who now live inside of IBM's four walls because they've built companies and they've sold them to IBM. So we share that knowledge and that, that expertise. The second thing we share is we know that almost all companies today, part of their competitive advantage is technology. So we do a lot to help companies like yourselves mm-hmm. with the technology itself, right? How do you get going quickly on the cloud? How can we help you gain a competitive advantage using Watson and cognitive computing? And then the third thing we help you do is we have relationships with lots of VCs. Yep. And so we bring together in smart camps the best of the best VC community, influencer community, entrepreneurs in a local region so that you can get the support you need locally to grow and nurture your business. 
And we believe that the support really comes not in starting the company, because as you know, it's easy to start a company. Yes. The hard part is growing the yes. company. So yes. we really hone in on how we can help you grow that company. That's really incredible. I love that program. That's great. And do you do you share that socially? Do you use and grow that membership and participation socially? We do. We um we have hashtag GEP Global Entrepreneur Program that's mm-hmm. out there. We do an entrepreneur huddle once a quarter where we bring the community together and we, you know, we actually survey the community to find out what topics are top of mind for them and what they would like to hear about. For instance, uh, in our entrepreneur huddle in first quarter, it was all about funding. How do you get funding? How yep. do you move that on? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's um, it's been really fascinating to see how consistent, regardless of whether the entrepreneurs are in Israel or Mumbai or Silicon Valley or New York City, to see the the commonality across and how we might be able to help on such a global basis. Um, I'll just give you a quick example. We had a company in Africa called Modi, and smaller company, much smaller, right? Very very much a startup. Great, great, great solution. We were so excited about it. We helped them with technology, gave them a competitive advantage, and they've now rolled out in 16 different international markets. Wow. So this small African company, in fact, it's so funny to hear them tell their story because they're always like, oh, my gosh, you know, we um, we started in Africa and we wanted to expand, but we thought it was going to take us a decade. Now here in a year, IBM has brought us into 16 markets. Wow. Something we thought would take us a decade to do. That must be so rewarding for you as a leader, Sandy. That must be really incredible. You know what? It's, it's, this job here is one of my very favorites because mm-hmm. I feel like I can help other companies, small companies to grow. And more importantly, to, um, as you know, when you're an entrepreneur, this is your life's passion. It's more than just a company. It's, it's who you are. So you get to help somebody, you know, have their dream come true. And it's such a great thing to do. I have to tell you. It's, it sounds incredible. I love it. And it's not just the Global Entrepreneurship Program. You also are a founder of, now, is it WITI or is it WITI? You tell me how do you Witty. say it. Yeah, Witty. Witty. Yeah, Witty. That's what Witten I thought. Technology International, yep. Okay, so tell me all about this and what inspired you to start it. Well, um, so actually Carolyn Layton was the founder okay. of Witty, Women in Technology. She founded it 25 years ago. Um, I was on the founding board. So ah. She started the board of directors, so I was on the founding board with her. And essentially, um, Carrie, what we're doing is we are, again, focused on entrepreneurs like yourself yep. and really now honing in on women entrepreneurs and what's going to stop them from being successful. As you know, funding is one of the big inhibitors mm-hmm. uh, for women. How do we connect women together to angel funds, to other women, to network, and to maybe even big customers, right, to so help them get that first big win? Um, we help encourage women that live inside of companies to, do, to become entrepreneurs and to really understand what's happening inside of their company so that they can grow and mm-hmm. move upward and onward. And, you know, I really view it as just such a major networking, networking group. We're, we're uh, international, we're global, we're in multiple countries, so women can get support and help wherever they are. Part of, the, part of what Whitney is built upon are these local networks and local networking groups. And what do you think, Sandy, in general, 
is holding us back. There's this conversation all the time about women and and what what is keeping us from raising more funds. What why are so few women businesses funded or or why are they not even going after the funding as much? What do you think is behind it? You know, I think it all comes down to in my mind um networking and connection. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds really trite and easy, but as I've been you know, now in this role for a while and looking at social and looking at things, I think, you know, everything in life really boils down to relationships. You've got to have performance. You've got to have a great idea. But then it's really about who you know and how you can, how they can help you get to that next level. And even as I'm watching, you know, doing some of these entrepreneur, you know, showdowns or or throwdowns as we're doing them (laughs) with the Global Entrepreneur Program, you know, challenging some of the VCs who are there, you know, you can't just judge based on who you know. You've got to judge based on the idea, too. And their comments always back to me, they, they always say to me, Sandy, it's as much, if not more, knowing the person. Mm-hmm. And can we bet on the person as much as the idea? And I think that's a big aha moment for women, right? Being known as a person and we can count on you and you're going to do you're going to do what it takes to make this succeed as much as the idea. And so we have to be better networkers. We have to form better relationships. Yep. And so tell yep. me tell me some of your experience. I mean, you you must be and in looking at your background and your story, the most master networker of all time. So tell me, do you have any networking tips for women because I think it's a key thing. I know for my staff all the time I have to really I I love networking and I I think for them I have to always teach them to be unafraid when networking. You know, that there is a lot of, like, um, uh, trepidation around when they're at a networking event, actually going out and meeting and talking and connecting with people. I would love to know if you have any tips on networking. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I think what you said is, is absolutely true. I think first is a lot of women are are fearful of networking. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, because we're, like, the best social networkers. Of course. But, but it's true. In the business world, they seem to be a little bit more timid. I also think that a lot of women view networking as an extra, um, mm. and most men view it as part of the job. I mean, even for me, it's hard, right? And um, one of my mentors said to me once, you know, how come you, I see you running down to the cafeteria, grabbing your lunch, and racing back to your office? And I'm like, I have so much work to do. I've got it. You know, I don't have time to eat down the cafeteria. And she said to me, next time you go down, take a look at who's sitting in the cafeteria. You know, don't rush through. Just take a look at who's sitting down there and who's eating lunch. So I did. And as I looked, there were all these men sitting down there. Mm -hmm. They're having lunch with their colleagues. They're building that relationship. They're building that trust. And here I am working my booty off back upstairs doing, quote, unquote, work versus doing the networking, which is equally part of the job. Yeah, I, I, I think women have to learn to focus on both. It's not that it's an extra. It's not that something you do when you have extra time. It's something that you really need to schedule in and do. I love that. Networking is not an extra. I'm going to incorporate that actually at Likeable. <laughs> I need to tell some of my Likeable ladies that because they're really they're really searching for for help on how to do it because they know it's important. But I think it's just so not natural. Somebody said to me, um, I feel like, you know, I'm not the the cool kid at the table if I'm walking up to people and I feel awkward and not, you know, I feel like, you know, if I'm approaching them, I could be interrupting their experience or something along those lines. And I said, they just have to get, you know, get over it. You can just do it. That's a, that's what people are there for, to learn and, and meet each other and form relationships. 
I think one thing uh, that I've seen, Sandy, is that social media has made us more social, right, but also less social and that we, especially the younger generation, kind of forgets how to communicate face to face. Have you seen that with any young entrepreneurs at all? Yeah, I think that's true. I think um, it's so funny because we just actually had a big event and we brought in a lot of young entrepreneurs. And what I thought was quite funny is here I brought all these great how-powered people together in the room and the entrepreneurs were kind of sitting over on this couch with their devices. Yep. <laughs> and they were, and, he, and I'm like, you know, I had to go over to the couch and I had to say, look, that guy over there, he's got a ton of angel funding and she is a VC. You've got to get to know these people. And being over here, you know, texting and tweeting to people who aren't here isn't a good use of your time right now. So you're right. Um, and I think a lot of them feel a little socially awkward. Because right. They, they haven't had as much of that person-to-person relationship management as they have doing everything via, you know, text or chat or that sort of thing. I think it's a little generational. You know, I think at at a certain, there's a certain spot, you know, an an age, I don't know if it's, you know, 30 or where it is that you just really were so brought up on the use of technology that that's where you're communicating a lot. And it's just so much what they're used to. It's, I, I, I find that often very surprising. And, and even for myself, I can find myself, even though I love to network and and have conversations in person, I, I just think there, there is a, an opportunity to default to the phone. It can happen. It can. And I think that sometimes as well, it's easier because you're, you know, you're typing things, you can think about it, you, you know, you can do it on your time. Unlike networking, you know, you need to take advantage of it when it comes to you. And therefore, you may not have, you know, prepared, you can't write, rewrite those sorts of things as you're moving forward as well. But I do think, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Don Tapscott who said, one of the new training classes, just like in the old days, people had etiquette classes, yes. you know, and they'd go yes. and learn how to, you know, put their forks around yes. a, a plate, that sort of thing, that, you know, there will be in-person social skill classes that will be taught. In fact, here, in, I'm in uh, New York, I've seen a couple of little camps come up for the summer for kids on in-person etiquette, which is how to, how to interface, interface with a real-life person. A real I human. Really <laughs> I yeah, love it. A real-life person. I think there's big business in that. There's big business in that and also in detox camps where you have no electronics and, you oh, know, yeah. help, social media detox for sure. So you mentioned before uh, about one of your mentors. How how important do you think mentors are in your career? And, and can you share a little bit of, of just some of your experience with that? I think mentors are really important in someone's career. They provide perspective. I advise people to have more than one to really create a board of directors, if you would. Mm-hmm. People that you surround yourself with that are going to advise you and support you and move forward. But I think even more important than a mentor is a sponsor. And I know Catalyst has written a lot about this. Yes. And the difference between a sponsor and a mentor, a mentor is going to coach you and you're going to come to them for advice. And they're going to provide advice. And they might actually outreach to you. But a sponsor is going to take you on as as like a protege. They're going to bet on you. They're going to take a risk for their reputation on you when they put you up for a role. And they're going to fight for you. It's a different relationship. And one of the things that Catalyst found is that more men have that sponsorship relationship because they invest time in, you know, the golf game and the lunches. They, They have that more firm relationship where that person feels like they know them enough to actually sponsor them as a protege. 
women tend, because they have so many responsibilities, not to have that depth of relationship. They have mentors, they seek advice, but because they've got so many things going on, they don't they don't have that same level of intimacy that I think the men do. And what Catalyst says is that that has really inhibited women from making any more progress in the glass ceiling. That's great advice. Find a mentor and a sponsor, I think, is a good piece. And I, I love the I love the concept of the board of directors. I, I always say a board of advisors, but same same exact thing is yep, like really looking thing. for more than one. Um, any other advice as we close up for, yeah, we have a lot of young listeners, a lot of young women who are aspiring for careers in, both in social media or social in general. Um, any advice for them as we're moving forward? Well, I would say don't be afraid to fail, uh, especially with social. It's so easy to get out there, try something. You know, it works, it doesn't work, and you can really, you know, do what I call that fast failure recovery so that you can test things out, try it, and get going. And then go after your passion. There's so many young people who come to me and they say, you know, tell me what steps you took. You know, tell me what job I should take next. And really it's not about what job I should take next or what I think they should do, but I always believe you're going to do best when you love something that you're doing and you're Mm -hmm. passionate about it. So I advise young women to think about what they want to do. Don't think that there's one way to get to the end game. It's a whole series of, you know, steps um, up and sideways to get you where you want to go and have fun along the way. I love it, Sandy. And thank you so much for being just a total inspirational guest. And we're so happy to have you on. You truly are a social lady. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thanks thanks for all your entrepreneurial spirit here and for getting the word out for other women and for doing your part in the mission as well. It's yeah. truly an honor to be on your, on your show. Thanks so much, Sandy. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, Sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com.